In this week's episode, we discuss the year 1979, and we discuss some of the off-field changes at St Kilda. Will these team try to manage a squad that has both Carl Ditterich and Phil Carmen? All is not happy at South Melbourne, where several veteran players are in limbo. All this and more after our song. It's the history of football we knows about, and we want to expand what we know. We'll become such intelligent gentry with every kick to kick show. Beginning in the time 1870s, right through to the modern day. Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz to hear what they all have to say. Right, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the 1979 season. We're an Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no real qualifications other than a thirst for knowledge and a desire to relive the past. My name's Tim, this is Charlie. Hello, hello. How you doing, buddy? Uh, good, good. Very happy to be here talking AFL uh, with no men's footy happening this weekend. No, we've got those D's guy, D's... Girls playing tonight against the Crows. Yes, grand very exciting. Rematch. The grand final rematch. Hopefully, we can take them out this time. Actually, by the time this episode's out, it'll probably have happened. So, yeah, I hope we can. I hope we can do it. Mm. And a few firsts happening. The, uh, yes, the Dons um, and the Hawthorne yep. for the first game. I'm going tomorrow night to that. So How I'm exciting! Very excited. Um, lots to talk about today. Firstly, though, we want to address an email we received yes. in the week from a man named David, um, and he had a bit of an issue with you, Charlie, <laughs> not liking the final five system. No, I, I think I said was saying I can't even remember what I said but I I was feeling it was a bit convoluted he's taken issue with your criticism <laughs> fair enough yeah I can understand it and he made some very good points about the fact that it was a, a final five of 12 so it's not half the teams it's yeah. sort of a which is similar, that was a really good point yeah I like similar that. to what we're at now right with a top eight of yeah. top eight of 18 yeah um no I I get I just it having not grown up with it not seen it yeah it just feels complicated is this your formal apology to david and the final five i refuse to apologize (laughs) no no it it it, it's good and it does it does uh reward the top team and and rewards things just like our system now does yeah um it just felt and i guess it's impossible to get it right because you know speaking of you know the fact we've got the buy this week there was that conversation of well does this actually demean you know uh, diminish the, is it an yeah. advantage or a disadvantage for the top four? Because yeah. if you're in fine form and you're only playing twice in a month, like yeah. is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? I mean, it seems like the results are telling us that it's still a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can never get it exactly right for everyone. No. Um, but, but thank you for that email, David. He also um, said we need to pronounce Beitzel properly. So I think it's Beitzel. <laughs> Beitzel, I think, is how we've been selling it, saying if it's Harry Beitzel. Beitzel. Um, David, you didn't leave a, uh, an email address in yours, so we haven't replied to you because of that. We so can't. We're happy to reply to you if you send us another message. Please. But thank you for sending it in, especially with pronunciations because yeah, we yeah. do well, we stuff just like, read it. Yeah, we right? just read it and yeah. sometimes we make mistakes, so... Please let us know if and we are. And love to hear from people who are passionate about that sort of stuff yeah. as well, who really care. Absolutely. So yeah, please great. send us a message. Um, hello, listeners in India, Sweden, um, Germany, Czech Republic, Iran, Poland. So thank you for listening. Fantastic. Um, let's get some, some history. Um, Song of the Year was Heart of Glass by Blondie, number one in Australia for five weeks. But also special mention to How's That. And there's a little Australian Diddy Corder up there, Kazali, but we'll talk about that a bit oh, more next week. yes. All right, so a little bit of 1979 history for us. Uh, Timmy, another great year. Um, let me start in Australia. April, um, huge news for Australian uh, culture, I guess. Mad Max, the very first Mad Max film, debuted in April 1979, which is great. Uh, on the 21st of May, we had the Montreal Canadiens defeating the New York Rangers four games to one to win their fourth consecutive Stanley Cup. Uh, on the 1st of June, we had the Seattle Supersonics winning the NBA championships against the Washington Bullets. One month later, on the 1st of July, we had the Sony Walkman going on sale for the very first time in Japan. And on the 10th of August, Michael Jackson releasing his breakthrough album Off The Wall uh, it sold 7 million copies in the United States alone, making it a seven times platinum album. 
this stuff's making it feel like uh, we're really entering the uh, the 80s, a little bit one year early. Um, on the 9th of October, we had Peter Brock winning the Bathurst 1000 by a record six laps with a lap record on, on his final lap. On the 17th of October, we had the Pittsburgh Pirates becoming only the fourth Major League Baseball team uh, to recover from three games to one deficit to win the 1979 World, S- World Series. They'd actually done this twice, the only franchise to do it twice at, up to this stage, I think, or maybe still. Uh, on the 20th of October, uh, in more Australian news, we had Malcolm Fraser, the Prime Minister, proclaiming the first section of the Great Barrier Reef, which is the Capricornia section, a national park. Uh, he also announced the allocation of $300,000 to, uh, to research projects to be set up to increase knowledge of the area. So it's been looked after since then. And then on the 6th of November, Hyperno winning the Melbourne Cup. Also this year, we couldn't find the date, the uh, one-child policy was introduced in China, um, which was then loosened in 2013, but stood for a fair while. And uh, a few people were born this year. The 4th of March, we had uh, Jeff Hugel, the swimmer. The 4th of April, Heath Ledger, uh, the extremely talented actor who died in 2008. On the 22nd of April, we had Daniel Johns, uh, lead singer of Silverchair, of course. 5th of June, Matthew Scarlett, the footballer. On the 7th of July, uh, the diver with maybe the greatest name ever, Loudy Talkie. Uh, and the 23rd of August, Lance Whitnell, the foot- football player. And on the 12th of November, Chad Corns uh, from Port Adelaide, of course. Uh, so there you go. All right, let's get to some league news then. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. What's been going on in the league, Timothy? Well, at the start of 1979, Channel 7 began televising reserves game for a specifically created Commodore Cup on Sundays. Now, you remember the rule the, um, the VFL couldn't hold games on Sundays? That's right, yeah. So they found a way around it by not charging admittance. So you could oh. go to the game... Uh, and you could watch Sunday football, and it was televised in Melbourne. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a competition they started, and we'll get, you know, we'll do a bit more about that, and we might mention the winner, um, and talk a bit more about the Commodore Cup. But, yeah, that's our, I guess, the VFL's sneaking into Sundays. Yeah, just just kicking the door ajar. Yeah, because the VFA bit. are playing Sundays. Um the, all, the other burning issue in the media in early 1979 was the notion of a, a national competition. Yeah, so well, I mean, we're we, the, the whispers have been happening, yeah. Um, and we'll see it. there is a game in Sydney, actually two games in Sydney in 79, which we'll talk about later on. Great. Um, two things about round 13 as well. Round 13 of this season, the first six teams alphabetically won all their games. Oh, really? So when I, when I look at the printout, like, it was win, 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 win. Loss, 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 loss. Like a very, I don't think I've seen that for a long time. No, like yeah. Not since there was eight teams. Um, round 13 also saw quite a few goal umpiring decisions disputed and there was a call for two goal umpires at each end or having stewards assist with the decision making. Always tinkering. Always tinkering. I was having that conversation with someone during this week, how it feels more and more that goal decisions are being reviewed. Don't Are you feeling that? Like... More, more yeah. than ever, if dis- and I don't mind. Like yeah. it's not, it's not a they're criticism. Quick, they're quicker at it. They are definitely quicker at it, and you'd rather them go and make sure it's the right decision. Absolutely, yeah. You almost think that it needs to be done around the ground as well. I almost Something think they should have a challenge system. Like each team gets four challenges a match, or uh, one a quarter. Uh, or yeah, like tennis. Yeah, it, yeah. The Hawkeye or the, the cricket. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Um, very interesting. So let's work our way up this ladder. Let's do it. Okay. Bottom to top. So 1979, on in 12th spot, right down the bottom, we have the Saints. Who were quite good last year. They, they, they just missed the finals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they um they fell away at the end of the of the season, didn't they, to miss the finals there, um, I think. Yeah, I think the middle part of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, three wins this year, 19 losses and a percentage of 65. So a pretty m- miserable season from the Saints. Uh, coached by Mike C- Patterson and captained by Barry Breen. Yeah, but not a great season on the field. Some debutantes include David Granger, Dean Ross, Mark Kellett, Gary Lugg, Malcolm Scott and Michael Nettlefold. Um, but they also lost players like Georgie Young, Carl Diderich, Glenn Elliott, and Robbie Muir. 
Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, um, Lindsay Fox was named chairman of the Saints in a big off-field shake-up that had the, that had seven committee men resigning. Yeah. Um, so round one, taking on the reigning premiers Hawthorne, St Kilda was able to keep pace with them for the first three quarters, and then they pulled away in the last quarter with a six-goal to three avalanche, winning by twenty-five. Then Gary Sidebottom with five goals. Yeah, wow. But it was a bit of a false dawn there. Because they went on a bit of a losing streak. Five losses in a row, including a very embarrassing round four loss to Collingwood to the tune of 178 points. On the same day, their reserves, coached by John Northey, were beaten by 151 points. So a very bleak day there for St Kilda. Yeah. Um, to credit to them, they battled back in round five to only lose to Geelong by five goals. Um, round seven was to be their next win, which was a two-goal victory over the Tigers. They led at every change and held the Tigers at bay as Gary Sidebottom kicked six. Saru was great in the ruck and Jeff Cunningham played well as well. Uh, then another lo- another losing streak followed, which you know hadn't really been seen since the days of the uh, the, the dark days of the 1950s. Yeah, nine successive losses they had. They finally won another game for the season in round 17 against the Swans. And the Moravan stand was rocking at the time the siren rang. Um, Cahir and Cruz had kicked goals in the last quarter to edge the Saints to their 20-point win while Gary Sidebottom was best on ground. But other than that, Charlie, a very dark season at St Kilda. Yeah. Some very big losses. Yeah. What was their percentage? 65. 65, exactly. Not ideal. Yeah, so very, very meagre year for the Saints this year, as we said. Uh, Gary Sidebottom being the shining star up forward, kicking 56 goals. Mm. Next closest was Malcolm Scott with 25. And the Trevor Barker Award in 79 went to Jeff Dunn. Dunny. Yeah. I would have thought it would have been Sidebottom. But there you go. Interesting. Uh, So that takes us up the ladder to 11th spot and... Luckily, missing out on that wooden spoon is Melbourne. Luckily. Yes. (laughs) Uh, With six wins and 16 losses, a percentage of 75.9. And captain coached by Carl Hibbert. He's back. He's back. He's done the double switch. He has. uh, We were talking about before, very... Rare. I can't it's, think it's, of anybody else. Can well, you? We've had gone, players who've gone to another club and come back to their original, but then not gone back to back the, to the club. same club again. Yeah, playing for two clubs in four separate times. Yeah, yeah it's very, very odd. But love it. Yeah, love to hear it. Um, some debutants for them include Tony Martin, John Wallace, Kelly O'Donnell, Bruce Elliott, Peter Giles, Jim Durham, Tony Elshaw, um, and Phil Carmen. Coming from Collingwood, big, interesting recruit there, having Carmen and Diderich in the same team. Yes. Um, they got him from Collingwood. Um, Melbourne sent Ross Brewer to the Pies and got back John Delamata and Wayne Gordon. Um, but a big debutante for Melbourne that season was Jared Healy. Yes. <laughs> so, originally from Edith Vale, Aspendale, Healy joined Melbourne in 79 and with his pace, tremendous ball skill and uncanny ability to be at the fall of the ball, he immediately stamped himself as a star of the future. Healy played mostly in the forward pocket in attack before switching to an on-baller and establishing himself as one of the premier ball winners in the competition. Shining star as a recruit. Who would have thought? Sounding like a pretty good team, although Diderich is definitely on his last legs at this stage. Who who thought he'd still be playing? Look, he started his reign by putting the players through a torturous first training session and he immediately declared that the Demons would make the finals and he was ruthless in cutting and chopping the team. Um, 18 players were axed from the senior list before the season even started. 18? 18. Yeah, wow. Mm. Um, Swung it. Well, fair enough. Yeah. You know, got to cut it. You got to make those decisions. Haven't Hard made, decisions. Haven't made finals since '64. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, pre-season six, wealthy businessmen pledged ten thousand dollars each to the club should they finish in the top five. Love a so good wealthy businessman. Bit of incentive. Oh, only on, on the yeah yeah. Only if they finish top five. Yeah. Okay. Um, round one versus what, round one against Footscray. There were still questions over Melbourne's lineup, and the defence still looked brittle in the first half. Twenty-six minutes into the second quarter, the Demons led. By 34 points, but the Dogs gradually fought back. Uh, Diderich played himself into the game. Robbie Flower was great with both his goals kicked after a mazy run through the Bulldog defence. Glenn Elliott had a great game in the centre and fellow debutant Phil Carmen defied a lack of match fitness to come to life in the last quarter at centre-half forward. The members gave the team a standing ovation at the end of the match. In round three, 
against South Melbourne. Had the Demons kicked better than two goals seven in the second quarter, it might have cost the home side the game. Midway through the second quarter, they kicked two goals eleven from fifteen scoring shots, with oh. Carmen having missed three and given away all of his all of his seven three kicks against. Uh, it was looking like another dark day in the office for Fabulous Phil before an electrifying last quarter where the wind stopped dead and he kicked four goals from ten marks and ten kicks. Well, that's what you need to get you back. <laughs> Round four, the D stamped themselves as early improvers with a gutsy win over the much-fancied Tigers. Carmen was dominant up forward and Carl Diderich played a match-winning role in the ruck, ably assisted by the dominant Robbie Flower on the wing. Richmond did well to stick with them until the last quarter of a fiery game marred by several malaise, but the Ds won by ten. In round 10, Robbie Flower, the hero, climbed off his sick bed despite having spent the whole week ill to lead his team to victory. He was 70% fit and playing at his own request, a request that Carl Diderich later admitted he shouldn't have granted. Mm-hmm. But for three quarters, he, lifted up Morab- he lit up Moravin. Even when moved to the forward line for a rest, he kicked two goals three, and with Greg Wells, cut the Saints to shreds. Diderich himself, returned from suspension, was booed onto the ground at Moravin by the fans of his old club. Um, their mood didn't get any better when he clashed with Paul Callery and was publicly admonished by umpire Graham Marcy. These won that game by 20 points. In round 12, Phil Carmen was banished to the reserves after a horror outing against Collingwood a week earlier. Uh, the Dees travelled to West o- Western Oval in disarray and were nearly seven goals down by the time the team went to the first huddle. Um, needless to say, they lost by 39. Taking on the Swans at the MCG in round 15, Melbourne had a narrow lead at quarter time, despite conceding all four of South's goals to Tony Morwood as much as 29 points behind in the third quarter. But they then kicked six goals in 12 minutes to turn for home ahead on behinds. The fight back had been spearheaded by Cameron Clayton, moved forward. Um, a seven goal to six last quarter helped them win by 13 points. Round 17, they suffered the worst defeat in the history of the league, which oh. we will talk about more next week, a record that's still held to this day. But to Melbourne's credit, they bounced, bounced back a week later against Essendon at the MCG. Carl Diderich made six changes with himself and Robert Flower returning from injury. Stephen Smith and Peter Hamilton dominated the ruck and both Greg Wells and Glenn Elliott were dominant in centre. But it was Robert Walters who did the rest with his fast leading and accurate kicking on route to nine goals one and the upset of the year. Carl Diderich credited a change of attitude amongst his players and the side played with tenacity, pace and teamwork. Well, that's good. I mean, God, that's hard to bounce back from, so... But they did. Yeah, good. Credit to them. Round 21 was a battle for the wooden spoon, St Kilda versus the Demons. Uh, The Ds were kept in the game in the first half by the Saints' poor accuracy, who led by four points with nine more scoring shots. But the Ds unleashed a second-half rampage with the Saints managing just four behinds, while the Demons kicked nine goals, ten in the third. The match was over by then. Robbie Flower ran right in the third term, having given up after having an up-and-down day in the first half while Stephen Smith destroyed the Saints at centre-half forward with three goals in the third and two in the last for a total of seven. So, yeah, not great at the Demons this season. Uh, So, the lead goal kicker at Melbourne this year was uh, Robbie Flower with 33. Um, So, not not great when a midfielder's kicking most of your goals. No, not particularly. and the Bluey Truscott Award in 79 went to... Also Robbie Flower? Lo- no, Laurie Fowler for the second time with Robbie Flower. Flower and Fowler. Yeah. <laughs> runner up there. So, yeah, yeah, there we go. So, moving up the ladder to 10th spot, uh, we've got South Melbourne. Again, with six wins, 16 losses, but a healthier percentage of 90.9. Yes. That massive loss really cost us there. Uh, coached by Ian Stewart, captain by Ricky Quaid again. Yes, for sure he was coached by Ian Stewart. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Oh, okay. Debutants include Stephen Wright, Mark Fraser, Gary Williams, Max Cruz, Doug Coop. Um, and they also acquired 1972 Rabbit medalist Len Thompson from Collingwood. Oh. And former Kangaroo Daryl Cumming. Now, pre-season, both Des Tudnam and Ian Stewart turned up to coach Sydney. Tuddy having coached them in 78 and Stewart in 77... Obviously, Stewart had those health issues with Carlton, and yes. the Swans wanted him back. Um, Tuddy claimed he was contracted and appeared until he was gain- he gained a satisfactory conclusion to his agreement. Really? But for a while, they had two coaches rocking up at training. Um, but the fact was, they had appointed Stewart. Yeah. And so he was the one who stayed with them. So they'd season. appointed him, even though Tuddy was still on contract. Yep. Yep. 
interesting. Yes. <laughs> mm. um, round one was a bit of a disaster with the Tigers beating the Swans by 14 points. Francis Jackson rupturing his knee ligaments. His season was done. They opened their winning account in round two with a strong win over the Lions. The Lions held a 21-point lead early, but a big second half to steamroll home. Len Thompson, Max James and Neville Fields all kicking four goals in a 53-point win. Now, round three started in bizarre fashion with Ian Stewart ordering his team to kick against the strong breeze in the first quarter in the hope that it would strengthen throughout the day and they would make use of it in the final term. And although the wind dropped in the final quarter, the Swans had a slender lead. However, thanks to Thompson and Teasdale and the Ruck, they took control and helped the Swans win by seven points. Mm. At training during the week, however, Ian Stewart was not happy with the way Thompson and Teasdale had made up their own rules and kind of taken over and gone against ah. the team rules and had a real go at them. Led differently on the field. Well. Yeah, so they kind of, like, they were, in the, they were in tandem in the Ruck and they're like, oh, we've got to save this game, we've got to win the game. Um, Let's do it this so, way. Yeah, and they, they did win the game for him. So the, uh, this is from Len Thompson's autobiography. He talks about they won the game, but then they got lambasted by Stewart during the week for, for, for doing it. In, going. A, in a way that was against it, the way he wanted mm. to do it. Interesting. And there's some consequences which we'll see happen a little bit later. Mm. Round four was a thumping from the Hawks, and then much the same happened against the Roos in a game where Mark Browning had to be rushed to the Melbourne Eye and E Hospital after being kicked in the face. Oof. His left eye had filled with blood, and he'd had to spend the next five days in hospital. In round six, the Swans took advantage of the Saints and with a big 15 goal to six second half won by 89 points. Max James with five, Bernie Evans was prominent. Um, before the round eight match, Ian Stewart brought back Bobby Skelton to the team to do some training with them. Ah, not, not to have a game. He probably still could. He probably would, yeah. <laughs> um, now, Ian Stewart was in tears talking to reporters after the team's last quarter fade out in round seven against the Dogs. And this was to be the start of a seven-game losing streak. A very... We never see footballers really like cry in front no. of the media. I mean, maybe on the field if they're injured, but yeah, coaches in tears. And yeah. yeah, no, yeah. you don't. They don't show as much emotion as they used no, to. No, but even then, like maybe a grand final loss, but yeah, round seven loss to the Dogs. Yeah, um, reacting to the loss, the Swans shocked the football world when they offloaded South Australian forward David Young to Collingwood. They effectively sacked their club secretary and then in the lead-up to the round 10 match with Essendon, they dropped stars Len Thompson and John Murphy. The Dons won that match by 16. Murphy was promptly cleared to the Kangaroos after playing just 23 games with the Swans. Mm. Also, Graham Teasdale walked out on the club around this time. Uh, South wouldn't give him a clearance to Carlton, so he thought he'd try his hand at American football. Oh, really? With the Oakland Chargers and the San Francisco 49ers both contacting him. Oh, like actually NFL? Yeah. I mean, just like gridiron in Melbourne. No, no, no. no. Like the NFL had contacted him and I'll, I'll follow up on that because I want to find out what happened. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, the Hawks and Swans played a close around 14 game with the Hawks one point up at three quarter time, but the Swans applied the pressure in the last and the Hawks wilted south with the winning rucks in Len Thompson and effective teamwork saw them win by 15. Um, in round 18, they broke a 60-year-old record when they beat the Dogs by 89 points at Lakeside Oval. Their score of 31 goals, 9, 195 was their highest score and greatest winning margin. This was engineered by Barry Round in the Ruck, who eclipsed all comers in the marking jewels. A brawl early in the second was the catalyst for South's avalanche of goals. They kicked 8, 7, 7 and 9 goals in each of the quarters. They had 11 goal kickers with Tony and Paul Morwood kicking 4 each. Their round 19 loss to the Pies was blamed by South officials on the umpires, but coach Ian Stewart refused to comment for fear of possible fines. Yeah. The balance of free kicks was 64-47 the Pies way. Uh, and round 20, the Swans took control of the game against the Cats early on with eight first quarter goals and a 30-point lead, which in the end was the margin. Barry Rand was superb in the ruck and the Morwood brothers were great in the forward line, running the Cats defenders in circles. But that is the end of... Yeah, of South. South season. Yeah. Yeah, so again, pretty miserable at South with uh, only those six wins. The lead goal kicker was Tony Morewood with 56 and the Bobby Skilton medal in 79 went to Barry Round. Yeah, a bit of, bit of turmoil there. Yeah, it sounds like it. From the very beginning with two coaches showing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit all over the place. So that moves us up to ninth spot uh, with Footscray. So with seven wins, one draw and 14 losses and a percentage of 81.8. Is he coached by Don McKenzie and captained by Jeff Jennings? Yeah, okay, some debutantes for the Doggies. We've got Neil Bristow, Robbie Pears, Gordon Paulson, Michael McKenna, Shane Walsh, 
Um, they lost Gary Dempsey to North in exchange for John Moylan, Mike Williams and Gary Cowton. Bobby McGee was back from Richmond as well, but we have a debutante by the name of Neil Cordy. Neil Cordy, yes. Uh, so... From recruited from Taralgon, uh, Neil Cordy was an extremely talented wingman who could take spectacular marks, and he played mainly as a winger. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, Jeff Denning, Jennings, the Dogs captain, became their youngest ever captain. There you go. Don't ask me how old. Uh, in late 1978, champion goal kicker Kelvin Templeton suffered a collapsed lung. He was whacked when playing for Australia in Ireland. Um, and had to have major chest surgery and lost about 10 kilos. Jeez. He was ke- cleared to play only about two weeks before the season started. Oh, God. Now, after two losses, the Dogs finally triumphed in round three, holding off a determined Saints team at Rebbin by five points. Round four, it was a seesawing match against the Bombers, and they went back and forth all day, no team getting more than three goals ahead. And in an exciting last quarter, the Dogs were able to snatch a draw at 128 each. Round seven, the Doggies beat the Swans by eight at Witten Oval. Uh, running away of the game in the last quarter, Templeton kicking eight goals, five Dunstan and Foreman good as well. Uh, the dog, sorry, the Hawks went into round eleven against the Dogs as though it was only had to go through the motions to beat them. But the Dogs played with nothing to lose. They got it to a fourteen point lead at half time before the Hawks eight goals to two saw them peg the lead back. But in the last quarter, the Dogs stormed back with seven goals to two of their own. The winner kicked by Big Dog Neil Bristow with a mark and goal from about fifteen meters out. Round 12, the Dogs were barely troubled by an undermanned Demons side with Templeton kicking five, including his fourth after a spectacular mark in the third quarter. The Dogs won by 39 points. Round 13, they beat the Roos at Arden Street by two goals. Big Bluey Hampshire was the hero here with five. Round 14, the Dogs posted their highest score of the season, which was a 79-point thrashing of the Saints at Western Oval. Uh, Templeton played a lone hand up forward with eight goals, two, while Jennings and Hawkins took care in the middle not quite the uh, 15 was it 15 he kicked last season uh, yeah not, that's right not quite that um, uh, round 19 the dogs jumped the tigers from the start and led throughout with the dogs little men and high marking players combining brilliantly to outpoint the tigers everywhere templeton with six goals but the doggies then lost the last three games of the season um, and i also realize i've called it both witten oval and western oval <laughs> while i've been reading that it's the same place it's the same place yes. yeah 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 it makes sense mm. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at Footscray, losing those 10 kilos didn't seem to bother Kelvin with uh, kicking 91 this year. Still pretty handy. Yeah, very handy. And the Charles Sutton medal in 79 went to Ian Dunstan. So, yeah. Nice. I mean, could be better, right? But ticking along. Yeah, ticking along. Uh, so moving up to eight spot, we've got the Tigers. Uh, with nine wins and 13 losses and 97.6%. Yeah, coached by Tony Jewell and captain by KB. Finally. Finally. I've been waiting years. How is it not? Yeah. How has it taken this long? Yeah. Um, he was announced as Richmond captain pre-season. President Ian Wilson made the announcement to the playing group prior to training. They had to wait for Bartlett to arrive from work. Um, Graham Richardson was also invited back as vice president for the season. Ah, okay. Um, some debutants at Richmond include Stephen Mount, Frank Bain, Peter Williams, Barry Trotter. Wasn't Barry Trotter like a Harry Potter knockoff? No, I don't really. I'm pretty sure there was, yeah. They got Barry Rollings from Hawthorne, Rod Osborne from Collingwood, as well as the Considine brothers, Craig and Ross from Collingwood as well. It feels like there's so... I mean, I meant to talk about this a little bit, but there's so much movement of players. Just you wait until the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? And this is also the start of the Collingwood-Richmond trade war. Yeah. Which we can get stuck okay. into soon. But it just feels like more so than now, even. I mean, I guess there's lots of movement. but yeah. money. Yeah, and it's under the table stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Not under the t- Sorry, that's the wrong term, but like, you know. But there's transfer fees and there's yeah. more money being played and like you've got Richmond making very aggressive moves towards yeah. taking players. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not all... It's not the level playing field that it is now with salary caps not and things no, like that. No, so it's really wait till we get to the 80s. Yeah, it's yeah. so it interesting. Go, it, it gets nuts. Yeah. Um, round one, Richmond jumped the Swans early with eight goals to four on the way to a 14-point win. David Cloak kicked five goals in the win, but was reported for striking Michael Wright and suspended for a week, meaning his 100th match would be delayed by a week. In round three, the Tigers led at every change against the Lions with a 20-point win. Roach kicked six, and Bruce Monteith was great. Um, after round four, after the round five loss to the Hawks, uh, it was to be Kevin Sheedy's 251st and last game as he announced his retirement the Thursday after. 
Kevin Chitty, citing his weary legs not being able to keep up with the pace of the game as the main reason for retiring, although he was staying at the club as promotions officer and to help Tony Jewell with the coaching. Makes sense. Promotions officer makes and coach makes yeah. sense for Sheeds, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, after four games, so he, so after four games from this season, um, Alan Edwards, 66-game player for the Tigers, asked for a transfer to Collingwood. Um, Richmond complained of piracy, and we'll talk a bit more about this later. Piracy? Piracy. Wow. After the first five rounds, the team was two and three, and there were calls for Jewel to be sacked. It's Richmond. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sorry. Of the course. team put in a desperate effort to go down to North just, and this was enough to encourage supporters that the Tigers were on the right track. President Ian Wilson came out and publicly stated that the board support the board supported Jewel. You know, Ian Wilson is Caroline Wilson's father as well. There you go. Yeah. Uh, round eight was KB's 300th game, and they were taking on the Dogs. The game was tight early, but from the 14 minute mark, when the Dogs led 3 2 to 3 1, the Tigers added 19 goals 25 to the Dogs 9 11 to win by 73 points. KB, Cloak and Bruce Tempany all kicked five. Now, in the lead-up to the round 11 game, KB found out that he was named at the half-forward flank, not Rover. And people started... There was a rumour going around that this could be his last game for the club. Oh, really? Not pushing him out. So Bartlett went out and played a pretty good game, got his name in the best, um, and really wanted to prove that he wasn't done yet. I, so they were thinking he might be on his way out at 300. That's what he's thinking. This, that's from his autobiography. He talks about, you know, I thought... You know, oh, he thought he was yeah, on his way so out. So they moved me from the rover to half forward flank. I've got. They were thinking, uh, you know, I'm, I'm losing my, I can't run out a whole game, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, he sure showed them. Yep. <laughs> um, round twelve, led by Barry Rollings, they overpowered a hapless Swan side by 56 points at the G. The likes of Wiley, Bartlett, and Waitman were excellent in turning a quarter time deficit into a 34 point lead at half time, and from there it was all Richmond. Uh, round 13, Neil Baum injured himself again, this time in a loss to Carlton in what was his last game for the Tigers. Quite fitting it was against Carlton. Yeah. Um, KB was awesome in the Tigers' 44-point win over the Ds in round 14. He had 39 disposals and kicked two goals. Monteith was also prominent. Um, then in round 15, the VFL stage, their second game for the season in Sydney. Uh-huh. So we'll talk about the first one yes. next week because it was teams. The, yep, yep. But yeah, um, Richmond and Fitzroy played against each other at the SCG. The crowd was a more modest 17,140, which was down on the first match, but comparable to the Wallabies test match the same weekend in the same city. So it's interesting, isn't it? You can't judge it with the same tape, can you? Because, no. I mean, you think of even even now, um, state, of, uh, state of origin games played in Melbourne get more people than they do in New South Wales and Queensland. Bigger stadiums. Bigger stadiums, but we... Just also love live sport. sport yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, it is. How um, long si- bef- before this was a game play a league game played in Sydney? It was like in the nineteen fifty two, I think. The, oh, um, okay. I, that country league game they, where everyone went around the country and played different games. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but before that it was but like nineteen oh seven. That's right. When that they took it up and had the they called the, the boat num- up <laughs> the numbers right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah right. That was the first numbers game. Yeah, yeah. good remembering. Yeah. Um, so in this game at the SCG, it was a goal fest. Richmond looked like the Tigers of old with a fanatical defence and direct play. Michael Roach kicked seven and KB was brilliant for his team with 40 disposals in what was his record-breaking 311th appearance for the club, breaking Jack Dyer's record. Tigers won by 17. Round 16, they brought the same form into their next match against the Hawks, all but ending their chances of finals with a 15-point win. Cloak kicked seven and Bartlett was good again, as were Brian Wood, Rowlings, Burke and Reigns. They smashed the Saints in round 18 with Roach kicking 10 goals and Cloak creating many opportunities for Roach and other forwards and kicking six himself. A 17-point win there. They humiliated the finals-bound Essendon in the final game of the season with Francis Burke in fine form. Uh, Bob Hurd marking strongly. The Bombers were never given an easy shot at goal while in their forward line, Roach kicked seven and Cloak three. Um, and finally, in November, on the 22nd of November, Kevin Bartlett quit the club due to unsatisfactory financial agreement and events which occurred during the season. Really? Mm. Will he stay or will he go? What is going to happen? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you on Ted Hooks, Charlie, until 1980. It's a real cliffhanger. It is. I'm not going to spoil it. Love it. Uh, so, uh, Michael Roach was the lead goal kicker at Richmond this year with 90. David Cloak behind him on 57. And then uh, the ever-youthful KB just behind him. How many KB kick? Uh, 36. Okay. Not bad. And the Jack Dye medal in 79 went to Barry Rowlings. 
Good, good pick up there from the Hawks. Yeah, very. Um, which leads us into the next team in seventh spot, which was Hawthorne. The reigning premiers. The reigning premiers have dropped out of the finals. What a, what a hangover. Yeah. It's like, just like they did after 71 and 61, Charlie. And 08. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting, isn't mm. it? So, yeah, only 10 wins, 12 losses, 99.8%. Coached by David Park and, of course, captained by Don Scott. Yeah, okay, some debutants. We've got uh, Brian McFowl, Robert Polkinghorne, Mark Turner, and John Kennedy Jr. Ah, Jr. Um, so another, another man with a famous father. Coming yes, in, we know what coming that's in, like. we know what it's like. Yeah. Uh, so he rec- recruited well, from. Well, we don't because none of our fathers are favourite. No, famous, no. But, but we, we've heard, we've yeah. talked about this before. Uh, Josh yes, McHale, Sartney, yeah, yeah, all these Smith's guys. Son, yeah. yeah. Uh, so recruited from De La Salle, Kennedy Jr. established a fine reputation in his own right. Versatile running player who was the ideal type for the area that he was playing in. Well, that should be the book we write. Yeah, just <laughs> sons, sons of famous coaches. Sons, yeah. Sons with famous footballing fathers. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think the better one is the, the less famous brother that played in the same team. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoy that one. <laughs> um, all right. So my notes here. Premiership number four brought hang- Premiership hangover number three. <laughs> the Hawks sadly missed Al Mont- Martello, Peter Knightsley, Matthews and Don Scott, who between them missed over 40 games through injury well, or suspension I mean- this season. That tells the story, doesn't it? Don Scott copped four weeks for striking on top of another week for abusive language. Matthews played just 13 games. Knights 11, Moncrief 15, uh, Martello 8 and Scott 14. Ablett and O'Halloran also missed a lot of football. Signs were bad early when you lose to St Kilda in the first round. Um, Adding to their misery was Don Scott, who injured his ankle in the 25-point defeat. In round two, Scott's replacement in the ruck, Richard Walter, went down with a knee injury as the side lost to Collingwood by 30 points. The reigning premiers were on the bottom of the ladder. Some pride was restored the next week with a 40-point win over the Cats at home, followed in round four by the club booting its second-highest ever score, 29 goals, 15, 189 against the Swans, uh, an 11-goal final term, producing a 94-point win there. Despite kicking one goal to four in the final quarter of their next game, Hawthorne flogged Richmond by 79 points in round five, kicking nine goals to one in the last as well. But the rot set in as injuries mounted, and in round six, uh, they lost to Carlton. Uh, the Hawks levelled the ledger at four and four in round eight by knocking off a struggling Melbourne side by 43 points, but they then fell to fifth place Essendon in a close game in round nine by eight points. In round 10... Hawthorne played its first ever game for points outside Victoria when they took on North Melbourne at the SCG. Ah, that's a good game to yeah, get so up Alan there. Yeah, so Alan Aylett has said, you know, let's get the best two teams. Yeah. Last year's grand finalists Unfortunately, played the SCG. not quite the truth of the situation anymore. No. Top of the ladder, North held sway at halftime by a couple of goals, but the Hawks rattled on 9-4 to 2-2 in the third to set up a 51-point win. Oh, so wow. That was a pretty good game. Yeah. Youngster Kennedy was best of field along with Peter Russo with four, Matthews three... Uh, Tuck and Goss were also good. The VFL result from this game was 31,395 attendees and they made $77,759 from the TV ratings. How good is this? Sorry, they made that much money. The TV ratings were comparable to Olympic Games shown on Sundays. Yeah, wow. The league was happy. Of course they were. And that's the other thing. It was played on a Sunday and they were streaming the game, well, not streaming, beaming the game back into Melbourne. (laughs) Alan Aylett would have been just rubbing his hands together. Love it. Uh, typical of Hawthorne's season, though, they lost the next week to 11th place Footscray by a solitary point after leading at three-quarter time by 21. Although the Hawks rallied to defeat last place St Kilda by 39 points in round 12, which was the first of 20 consecutive wins over the Saints, the team was still wobbly, and in round 13, Collingwood beat them by 105 points. It was the side's biggest loss for over 10 years. Yeah, wow. They lost again in round 14 to South by 15 points before somehow snatching a one-point win over Geelong. Three more losses came from that uh, to Richmond, Carlton and Fitzroy, all but ending their chances of defending their flag. A 22-round 19 win over 11th place Melbourne did little to restore pride. The following week against Essendon, a severely undermanned side ventured to Windy Hill without Matthews, Knight, Scott, Moncrief, Martello. Kelvin Moore stood in as captain and on a wet day, it was a tough, hard game. Essendon was on the verge of playing finals, but the Hawks took it right up to them. Even so, Essendon led by 16 points at three-quarter time. An early fourth-quarter goal to the Hawks was answered by two from Essendon, and with a 22-point deficit in the muddy conditions, the game seemed lost. However, 
The Hawks would not concede and in fact managed to hold Essendon scoreless for the remainder of the match while creeping closer with goals to Jeff Ablett, Tuck and Robert Wilkinson. Tuck was the game breaker and game saver. The match was into time on in the last when his long kick from goal put the Hawks ahead for the first time since the opening minutes. It was his fourth goal of the game. As Essendon made one last charge, Tuck rose high over the pack in in the defensive goal square to take a giant grab and save the match once more. The Hawks won by four points, with Michael Tuck picking up 26 kicks and eight handballs. One match report stated that he had been everywhere at exactly the right time and did not waste a kick. Yeah, wow. Buddy Hawks. True to their form, though, they got smashed by the Kangaroos the next week. Uh, The season was completed with a solid 38-point win over the Dogs at Western Oval. Um, now, at the end of the season, three long-standing administrators retired from the Hawks. Max Elmer, Dr. Sandy Ferguson, and Phil Ryan. Ryan had presided over three premierships. Ferguson had given rise to the embrace Hawthorne and it will embrace you philosophy. Yep. Um, and Elmer had given 27 years of service to the committee. Wow. Ron 27 Cook be- years. That's yeah. Huge. yeah. Ron Cook became president and immediately installed John Kennedy Sr. as chairman of selectors. So he's back. In some capacity, I suppose, yeah. But because he's, he's because of his, I think his son was ill. It was family health reasons he left. Oh, I um, thought he moved away again. That was no, no. It was, it was family health reasons. So okay. he's still around, but couldn't dedicate the time. Yeah, to fair teaching. enough. Sorry, I, I thought he was. Yeah, he'd moved away again. But no, okay. Yeah, I said teaching. I meant coaching. Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he was a teacher. Yeah, that's why he moved away the first time. Yes, he got placed somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Stall, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, there you go. So disappointing season but very understandable from what you were saying about those guys and you can see here I mean even with those games missed Moncrief and Matthews are still the lead goal kickers so they needed them to get the goals Moncrief the most with 45 um, and the Crimmins medal in 79 went to Kelvin Moore Mm. the standing captain correct? Uh, for some matches yeah depending on who was available or not yeah very interesting uh, so moving up into sixth spot and our top loser <laughs> uh, is Geelong with 12 wins, 10 losses and 100.4%. Coached by Rod Olsen and captained by Ian Mankervis again. Yep, some debutants include Glenn Middlemiss, John Mossop, John Durham, sorry, Durham, Mark Boss, Mario Bortolotto and Greg Nichols. Now the Cats open their account in round two. Kicking with the breeze in the first quarter, Melbourne started with a 13-point lead. Uh, but within minutes of the restart of the match in the second quarter, the Cats used the win to their advantage and took the lead back, and they ran out eventual 39-point winners. The next win was round five. The Saints stuck with the Cats for three, port- three quarters until the final quarter when they kicked away to win by five goals. Blake was best on ground for the Cats in what was his 100th match. He had 14 kicks, 10 marks, 8 handballs, and kicked six goals one. During this match, Geelong set a then record for most consecutive goals in a match with 15 straight without a miss. Wow. Round six, Geelong's second half was the difference in their win over the Dogs at Cardinia Park. Round nine, the Cats used a big third quarter and four goals each to David Clark, Larry Donoghue and Paul Serra to beat the Swans at Waverley by 13. Round 10, the Cats put in a big second quarter, which was enough to set up their win over the Tigers at the MCG. Donoghue kicked 8-4 and Rod Blake was again excellent. Um, round 12, an undermanned Cats team built up a slow and steady lead against the Blues with fierce tackling and handballing. Mario Bortolotto blanketed Carlton's gun centre-half forward Mark McClure in a physical duel between the two. But what looked like it was going to be a comfortable win turned into a frantic finish as the Blues kicked three quick goals in time on to scare the Cats, but the siren went to give them a one-goal win. Against the Ds in round 13, the Cats were in cruise control from start to finish, doing what they needed to do to win. Brian Cousins, father of Ben, was the match winner here, keeping the Ds under constant pressure all day to see them win by 51. Round 16, the Saints troubled Geelong for the first half at Cardinia Park uh, before Rod Olsen switched David Clark into the middle and Nankervis onto the ball. This was the masterstroke that helped the Cats to win by 25 points. Round 17, Geelong earned a 40-point win over the Dogs at Witten Oval, Western Oval. Uh... The best, Bright was best on ground with five goals, three in the last quarter. Peter Jackson was also great with four of his five goals in the third quarter. In round 21, the Cats turned it on in the last to beat the Tigers by 26. 
uh, while their defenders held the Tigers to one last quarter point. Yeah. Round 22, the Lions led by 27 points at the 18-minute mark of the last quarter. You'd think they'd be home and hose, Charlie. You would. But somehow, inspired by their large home crowd, they kicked five goals in under 10 minutes to snatch the game from the Lions and also strip them of what would have been a top-three finish. So, missing finals, but ending on a high. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the lead goal kicker for Geelong this year was David Clark with 40. Uh, and the Kaji Greaves medal in 79 went to David Clark as well for the third time, second time in a row. Yeah, nice. Mm. Um, so that's our top, or the bottom seven. But let's talk about the night series, Charlie. Yes, let's do it. So this year is the start of the, which we mentioned last year, the new format, the AFC Escort Championships. Yes, because they've announced the new company, the Australian Football Championships. Hell, owned or run by the VFL. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their president, Alan Aylard, is the president of the... Uh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the interesting thing here is that the series was sponsored by... The Wills, mm-hmm. who had been sponsoring that rival competition yeah. that had been running the last couple of years. So that's now yeah. done and dusted. So they've taken their money. Yes, yeah. and run it in. So Aylett said, no doubt the VFL is in a better position to run a night competition than the NFL, but he denied the new company would be an opponent of the NFL series. <laughs> it's an alternative. Yeah. The only alternative, apparently. Uh, so the NFL did push on with a reduced series that was the Sandful, the VFA and the QAFL grand finalists, but it was done because the ATV um, television company decided that they weren't going to broadcast those matches into Melbourne during the, because of plunging ratings. Wow, what a move. That's a power and, move. Yeah, so it was basically done. Um, the Sandful then um, formally announced they'd moved to the AS- AFC competition in 1980 and the... Quaffle also followed suit. But guess who wasn't welcome? VFA. The VFA, of course. We talked about that last week as well. And they were forced off the national stage again. Uh, So it was a tournament format. Um, So there was a qualifying qualifying round. They were based... The clubs were ranked based on their ladder position in their respective competitions the previous year. Yeah. and so there was, yeah, like a qualifying round and the winning teams that qualified went into the main draw. The losing teams were eliminated. Yeah. Uh, so we had St Kilda uh, missing out, Melbourne missing out of the VFL teams, Richmond, South, Fitzroy, Essendon and Footscray getting through. Um, we had Claremont and East Frio getting through from the Waffle, West Perth, Subi and Swan Districts missing out and Tassie and New South Wales also missed out. So the main draw was the top VFL and Waffle teams. So in round two, which was the main draw, we had South Melbourne versus South Frio, and South Melbourne won that one quite convincingly at Waverley. We had the next game, North Melbourne playing ACT at Phillip Oval in Canberra in front of eight eight and a half thousand people. Uh, and North Melbourne won that one very convincingly by 110 points. Collingwood beat Essendon at Waverley. Geelong beat Richmond, also at Waverley. Fitzroy beat Carlton. East Perth beat Footscray. Perth beat East Frio. And Hawthorne beat Claremont. I feel sorry for all these clubs having to travel all the way to Melbourne and then to Waverley. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit crazy, isn't it? And you can see that it has obviously put them on the back foot. Uh, Crowds not so good, averaging sort of threes, fours, with a couple of eight thousands there. Um, so that took us through the quarterfinals where Collingwood doubled South Melbourne's score. Yeah. Uh, Fitzroy won by less than a goal over Geelong. East Perth beat Perth by 20. Uh, Hawthorne beating North by just two points. Hawthorne really have them mentally, yeah. don't they? Interesting. Uh, and then that takes us to the semi-finals where Collingwood played off against Fitzroy and absolutely smashed them, 49 to 116. Um, and East Perth versus, versus Hawthorne. 
low scoring to start with, but Hawthorne came out winners there, 31 to 67. So taking us to the grand final of Collingwood versus Hawthorne, and Collingwood got the job done in front of 37,000 people, 12,880 to 71052. There's some interesting little incidents throughout this uh, series as well. Yeah. Which if we scroll down. So um, East Perth played Perth at Waverley. They, they wanted to move to WA, but because of television uh, commitments, they had to play it in, in, in Melbourne. Melbourne. So in front of 2,583 spectators. It's ridiculous, isn't um, it? Yeah, played on neutral territory. The Swans also had two coaches at the start of the series. We yeah, which we talked about earlier, um, which was very strange. The Essendon Swan Districts match was played in temperature, temperatures of 37 degrees. Or 30, it reached 38 in the last quarter. What was a 39-goal shootout? Yeah. Um, there's also the sprinkler match. Yeah, yeah. there's a great photo of them all standing out there with the sprinklers going. We had um, the doggies wearing a special night series or pre-season jumper mm, for the very first time. It's an interesting one because they have to... There's clashes with their... Teams from other states. Yeah, of course. So, that, so that's why they've done it. So they followed it up the next year with a new design, but it wasn't until 15 years later that it became a, a trend. And South Melbourne had to wear wore, wore an all-orange jumper. Oh, really? Which is quite interesting considering they become swans in Sydney and orange is now the colour. The colour of the, sun, of the giants. giants, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Lot going on. Yeah, and this is the fir- the first Collingwood piece of silverware since the nineteen fifty eight grand final. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they've got one. One. <laughs> so there you go. So there's the AFC Night Premiership and just the VFL just continuing to snake its tendrils across yeah, this great absolutely. land. Absolutely, it's very interesting. Yeah, the way they're doing that, the manipulating. Love it. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's quite it's interesting. Like, it is, it is. The way they've made these manoeuvres and they've undermined the NFC. And, and the VFA oh. again. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, that brings us to the end of uh, part one of our 1979 episode. Absolutely. Can't wait to talk about those finalists mm. and what happens later on in 79. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. It's always good. <laughs> Love it. Well, so until, uh, until next time, uh, can't wait for it. Hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.